On the surface, it would appear that the expectation for the local hockey franchise is that they're going to just keep trying the same thing and hope for a better result. Something within that has to change, and it doesn't always have to be the personnel. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. If you think back to the 2016 and 2017 championships, both obviously under Mike Sullivan, both obviously with the same core, a lot of the same players, and most definitely the same system, same approach, same X's and O's, same pace, and everything else. But when you go back to those last two cup teams, what put them over the top wasn't that they just got hot or that some superstar took over, because that didn't happen either. With all due respect to Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang, though they all played well at various points of those two championships, they didn't rise above any previous level. They didn't become superhuman, say, the way you saw from Gino in 2009. You know what I'm saying? What did happen was that there were unexpected Thoroughly unexpected in a couple of cases, surprises. Now, surprises are almost always going to come from younger players because we haven't seen them. We don't know what they can do. The people who really follow them closely are the evaluators and so forth, and of course, the fans at the minor league arenas, but that's not the same thing. I'm talking about surprises to you and me. And when I go back to 2016, and I remember how that regular season was going at the time that the Penguins made the conscious and deliberate decision to call up several players, not just one or two, but several players from Wilkes-Barre Scranton. This was Jim Rutherford doing this to try to kind of shake up things in the room, something that Jim very much believed in, often to a fault, I should add. But up they came, Brian Rust, Scott Wilson and Tom Kuhnhackle. Matt Murray was up around that time as well. A little bit of a different dynamic because you're talking about goal. But those three, and funny enough, in particular, Wilson scored like right away. And I I vividly remember being on Long Island after a game and Gino joking with me, everything's okay because Willie's here now. Okay, that's the impression that he made. And all of a sudden, some guys who'd been stagnating really elevated their games, notably Chris Kunitz, who was starting to get up there in years. And even though Wilson got hurt shortly after his opening surge there, Rust and Kuhnhackle were significant contributors to what ended up happening in San Jose. In Rust's case, pretty much out of nowhere. And so a team that you thought was pretty much set from the roster standpoint, from the depth chart standpoint, from the alignment standpoint, from the potential standpoint, ended up being something much more significant. And the same thing, in a different way and with a different player, occurred the following year 
with Jake Gensel coming up and scoring a whole bunch of goals right away, you'll recall, and then getting some huge ones in the playoffs, including against Nashville. That That's what's needed. That also has to be given the opportunity to occur, of course. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. I don't know who that candidate is on this roster. I'm going to float a couple of names here, but I don't know that there's someone capable of making that level of an impact. Something where you say, wow, that really changed the way we feel about that team. Because we thought maybe that there was a decent second line left winger or that maybe there'd be some additional scoring depth in the bottom six. Or maybe there'd be another partner for Chris Letang. But you don't know. You don't know. And you know what? You don't know until you try. And I can't make this point often enough, forcefully enough. It's going to be incumbent more on Sullivan than anyone else to ensure that the following individuals get very real opportunities, not just in camp, not just in the exhibition games, but into the regular season. And in descending order of how strongly I feel about them, I'll begin with Radim Zahorna. I don't know what to make of him. Do you? When you watch him, do you think to yourself, oh man, this is just oozing potential? No, you can't. I'm sorry. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but you can't. He doesn't have a wow factor to him, but he is six foot seven. He does use that range and that reach effectively. He can move with that frame to the point that you don't even realize that he's six foot seven. He's got skill around the net. He's got skill in tight quarters. And by the way, sneaky little stat, he's almost never on the rink when the other team scores. Maybe that's an accident. Maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe it isn't. Only one way to find out. Here's another one. P.O. Joseph. Put him on the pairing with Latang. Go ahead. Challenge him. You have nothing to lose. There's all kinds of penalties to kill in the preseason because it's an unusual time of year. Guys are trying to show off how tough they are, and they'll go sit in the box without worrying about repercussions. Great. You get to practice it. Put him out there. Let him kill penalties. Let him kill penalties through Every one of those half dozen games. Because if he can do that and give Latang what he needs to be at his best, you've got yourself something that you didn't previously have. And he's young. But my top of the list here, and I'm going to pound this drum like Neil freaking Pert, Drew O'Connor has to have meaningful duty on this hockey team. It might not go well right away. You can't pull the plug. He's big. He can move. He can shoot. 
He can pass. He can really forecheck, which means he's going to have a beneficial impact on your offense, on your possession time, even if he doesn't score, which is wonderful. He actually does that now whenever he's playing. Now, I'm not going to be too rough on Sullivan over this one. He loves O'Connor. And the only reason that O'Connor wasn't part of the Penguins' plans in the second half of the season and into the playoffs was that he had the collapsed lung issue out in Western Canada in the regular season. And it took him a while, understandably, to come back from that. By the time he did, the Penguins were playing really well. Sullivan didn't want to mess with things going into the playoffs. Didn't get him into the round against the Rangers until a lot later. Fine. Okay. Move past it. We don't currently know who the left winger is to play with Gino. It might be Danton Heinen. It might be Jason Zucker. I think it should be Drew O'Connor. I think that's the way to go. If you're trying to make things different, substantively different than they were in the past, meaning not just for show, you're going to have to find players who can surprise. When we come back, J1Q. says, DK, since you mentioned back-to-back games on yesterday's episode, can the NHL stop scheduling so many? Is a fan, regardless of home or away, spending a decent chunk of change on tickets, I'd appreciate the team showing up for the game that I'm paying for. I live in South Jersey, and I saw the Penguins play in Philadelphia on a Sunday afternoon after they played the day before in Detroit, and it was their third game in four days. Louis Domingue was the best player on the ice that day, and he gave up four goals. I know every team plays a handful of back-to-backs, but from a fan perspective, I'd like my money's worth. Mary, you're not in luck this year. (laughs) The schedule has the Penguins playing 15 sets of back-to-backs, up from 11 the year before. They appear to have learned nothing, league officials, from some of the smarter things that they did during the pandemic scheduling. For example, there is one unusual event this year on the schedule where the Penguins play the Rangers back-to-back, but in New York, they stay at Madison Square Garden. This is something everyone seemed to enjoy. The fans got to see both ends of a back-to-back where They could watch the intensity build up over six full periods and change. The players and the the team officials and everybody were giddy over it because it saves a whole lot of travel aggravation and I'm sure money as well. And even the consumer who's just taking in the games on TV gets to see a better brand of hockey because not as much energy is wasted on, you know, switching hotel beds. And at the time, meaning back in heavy pandemic time, the league said that they'd seriously consider keeping some semblance of that once the schedules got normal again. And all they'd have on there was just the one set. So I I don't like that right off the bat. They had 11 back-to-backs last year. They have 15 this coming year. That's way too many. And it starts to get really absurd when it also includes heavy travel. 
The Western Canada trip that the Penguins will make in October, right off the bat, has two back-to-backs within it. Calgary and Edmonton, a couple days off, Vancouver and Seattle. Now, those cities are really close together. Each one of them is a three-hour drive apart. Buddy, you're still switching. You're still moving around just as much. The only difference is that you're spending maybe a few minutes less on an airplane. And I can predict right now, just as you can, that the Penguins are going to be an absolute wreck on the second half of those back-to-backs. It doesn't make for a great competitive situation. Um, It's not something that's unfair, certainly not to the Penguins, who traditionally have one of the easiest travel schedules in the league. So please bear that in mind, because Pittsburgh is just so central from a geographic standpoint. But it doesn't help the product. It dilutes the product. It weakens the product. It reduces overall performance. It adds to injuries. In my perfect world, and nobody's going to ask me, the NHL goes back to a 72-game schedule and places a much greater emphasis on an expanded playoff. That's a nice little trade-off that'll compensate for the revenue that's lost. Uh, Do you affect things like... You know, historical records, 50-goal seasons, Alexander Ovechkin chasing Wayne Gretzky. Yes, of course, you're taking away 10 regular season games. That's a lot. That's a pretty big move. But the bigger picture in all of this is that the hockey gets better. And good luck making a cogent argument against that. I appreciate the question, Mary. I appreciate everyone who listens to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.